Although I'm a doctor by profession, I'm not your doctor. All content and information on this podcast and on our website is for informational and educational purposes and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by use of our site. Although we strive to present accurate information, the podcast and website are not a substitute for your healthcare provider. Always consult a healthcare professional who knows your particular needs and circumstances before making any health-related decisions. Also, there are curse words that are unedited, graphic descriptions of bodies, bodily fluids, and other real-life scenarios that might make some listeners uncomfortable. (laughs) I'll set it. I'm Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. And I'm Becca Hammer. Welcome to the Perimena Podcast. the menopause life. Although you have been slogging through hell for the last three to ten years, I can assure you as a survivor that there is life after perimenopause. Of course, you have nothing to say about when this happens, but most assuredly, it will. You won't have another period. Your moods will stabilize, and most of what you've been going through for all these years Well, mostly, for the most part, it's going to cease. But don't get all googly-eyed about it just yet. There is fun associated with menopause, too. (laughs) And we wanted to give you a preview into that world. Menopause. After that last period, what happens for those years? It's so true that it's a different world when you're no longer having the highs and lows of hormonal changes dictating your moods and concentration over time. When you think about it, we've experienced hormonal changes since puberty, maybe as early as eight years old for some people. The realm of stable hormones or low sex hormones if you choose not to take ERT. It's a wonderful place to be, and for so many women, it takes just a year or two to get there after your last period. As we know, the process is very different for everyone, sometimes years of hormonal fluctuations prior, and that is what this podcast has mainly discussed. We have a lot of friends and listeners who are in this last stage finally, years since their periods have stopped, and this episode is meant for you. Or perhaps you're just wondering what later days may have in hold for you. Do you need to keep worrying about hormones or not? Last episode, we talked about three main paths to get through perimenopause. Supplement hormones with a prescription, try alternative approaches or non-hormonal scripts to help alleviate symptoms, or you could do nothing. So let's travel down each one of these roads and talk about what to expect long term. Remember, there's no right path to choose. It's just up to you. I love that. You know, and it seems like like through the whole perimenopausal journey and your whole, you you know, your health is your health is your health. You don't get a lot of choices, right? Mm -hmm. A, A lot of times you're just being responsive, right? I'm always putting out the fire. I'm always reactionary. And I love the idea that finally I'm at a place in my life where I get to choose. Right. I get choices. It's a beautiful thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's start with the women who've decided to take hormone prescription. Maybe you're having hot flashes or brain fog. And let's say that you started at 47 years of age, maybe three months after your last period. How long should you take it? 
Well, as a general rule of thumb, probably at least one to two years, and then you could start to taper, and that's if your goal is not to be on hormones long-term. Tapering hormones by taking smaller and smaller doses every month will help keep the hot flashes from recurring. Well, wait a minute. When you say when you say taper, is that like um, do they do I get a prescription that becomes less and less and less, or do I start cutting pills in half? What are we talking about? Right. How do I taper? I know, and it can be different. There's different ways to do it. It's going to be uh, that you'll have a conversation with your provider because it depends on where you started, uh, where you are currently with your hormone prescription. If you had to go all the way up to the highest dose, then maybe your uh, provider can try you on a half dose, uh, like a half of a tablet or half uh, dose size of a tablet or um, half dose size of a patch. Um, so that those could be ways that you decide to taper, or they could say you're on the lowest dose. How about try taking half a pill or try doing it every other day and see how you do. So there are different ways to do it. Or if you're on a patch on the lowest dose and you want to taper, they might switch you to a pill that gives you lower doses or that you can go to every other day. So it's going to be a conversation with your provider. Oh, okay, cool. And so this is for women who they just don't want to be on it forever, right. ever in a day. So this is that one to two years before I start tapering. Right. But do I, do I have to? Do I have to go Right. On? You sure don't. You know, you can stay on those hormones as long as you want. Uh, unless we've always talked about this, unless you've had a clot, a blood clot, or your newly diagnosed breast cancer, for instance, we've discussed those risks. If that develops, it might be that you have to go off estrogen. Uh, because you know that estrogen will help keep your bones, your vagina and bladder mucosa, and your skin looking younger and healthy. It also might be that the estrogen replacement therapy provides protection of your brain from Alzheimer's, and there might be a risk reduction for developing colon cancer if you're on estrogen replacement therapy. So long term, there might be benefits to staying on it if you choose to do so. But there are some downsides because women on estrogen replacement therapy definitely need to get their new script prescriptions yearly from their providers. And that's going to mean coming in for a regular examination every year, which is a good thing because you get your blood pressure checked, your weight checked, they go over your skin. There's a lot of things that you can check off the list with that regular provider. Uh, you'll want to keep a, an eye on every other year mammograms as well, because we want to screen your breast for breast cancer. And you probably will want to keep up with your bone density screenings, even if you're on estrogen replacement therapy, which we know is very protective for the bones. And that starts uh, at age 65 and goes on through your lifetime. What if I was never on hormones? And say I'm 18 months without a period, so I'm clearly in menopause town, and I want some of these benefits, right? I want right. some of the bone benefits. I want some of my vaginal mucosa. Right. <laughs> okay, I would never just say that, but I want some of these benefits. Can I start hormones now, even though I wasn't on them prior to well, when I was in perimenopause, I wasn't on them. Can I take them now? Yeah. You know, like as we've been talking about, we talk about those risks and benefits. So a discussion with your provider uh, at any age, whatever age you're starting it. Some of the drawbacks of starting too really late on hormones are that maybe you've been through a big chunk of the withdrawal and then we start you on hormones. Uh, we can increase some breast tenderness. We might stimulate periods again if we waited a, a long time, uh, which complicates wait, wait, wait. things. Wait, when you're saying long time... 
long long time for me is not necessarily the same, same as long time for you. What are yeah. we talking about long time? Yeah, well, definitely, uh, like if you've gone over a year without your period and then we're starting hormones, we might be might be something that uh, that's a little bit complicated, but it's still very doable. Uh, and the, I'd say the, the, the extra long time when we're like, hmm, maybe you should not consider doing hormones is five years. And for uh, a lot of women, we, we don't like to necessarily start hormones after the age of 60, because then truly most women have been completely through menopause for at least five years, and we can really cause some, uh, some issues with that breast tenderness, maybe stimulating periods, which can uh, be uh, complicated. So, so oh, yeah. there's and a, nobody wants to go back into that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's kind of a, there's, it's definitely a range. It depends on how bad your symptoms are. Um, it might depend on the cost somewhat and also on the convenience. Uh, so a conversation with your provider about the risks and benefits for you specifically, because we've talked about many different ways that that your uh, system is affected by hormones. And maybe you're just figuring it out 12 months after your last period or 18 months. So maybe you do want to give it a try. Anytime we start hormones after you've been on them and then we take them away again, we can precipitate hot flashes again. So that's another kind of bad thing about starting them late in the game. So women choosing alternative therapies generally are able to stop six to 12 months after treatment. So maybe you started just acupuncture or you started using black cohosh uh, to help with hot flashes and that worked for you. Well, you can then try tapering off of it or just stopping it. Black cohosh generally you can just stop about six to 12 months after you've been on, on that treatment for yourself and see how you feel. It might be that you're, you're experiencing symptoms similar to women who have had no treatment at all uh, and have toughed it out. So there, there's going to be similar sorts of uh, issues perhaps, but if your sim- main symptom was hot flashes and you had some relief, going off could be very safe and effective uh, about six to 12 months. If you decided to forego hormones completely and did an alternative therapy, you might want to start checking your bone density earlier than 65, depending on your medical history and risk factors and your family history. So that would be for, for instance, people who have hyperparathyroidism, they're more at risk for low bone density. Say you've had multiple fractures and you're 60 years old and you're not sure, well, hey, maybe I have low bone density. Maybe if you were, uh, you know, a part of that, had that female athlete triad, you have low estrogen in your 20s, maybe you're more at risk for osteoporosis. Uh, the one bad thing is that your insurance generally won't pay for it before 65 unless you have a really compelling reason but usually most women can get one at age 65 since it's recommended by the USPTF. So the risks might depend on your medical history uh, as well as your risk factors and your family history. All women, whether you're on treatment or not, you might experience increased vaginal dryness at any point. So even women who are taking uh, estrogen replacement therapy, say you're on an oral estrogen or a patch, you might not be getting the benefits vaginally completely. You might still have a little dryness. So the best, most effective treatment, right, that we, we tried, we gave it our best go, and it might have helped some, but maybe not completely. So the best next treatment would be to use vaginal estrogen, which can come in a suppository, a cream, or a ring. 
So this tendency towards dryness may be more and more prevalent the further we go from menopause. So it's something that maybe you didn't have when you're having hot flashes uh, and you've gone that whole year, you got past the hot flash stage. Well, maybe when you're reaching 58 to 60, you start getting some of that vaginal dryness. So it's one of those kind of postmenopausal symptoms that can happen as you get further from menopause. And it usually won't stabilize, you know, at any point. It usually yeah. tends to get worse. Yeah. And we... That is not what I wanted to hear, Suzanne. That is not <laughs> what I wanted to hear at all. Right, right. And that dryness can interfere with pleasure in sex. So, so that coupled with our decreased sex drive, because we're not making a lot of testosterone, can really interfere with an active sex life if you desire it. So one of those things that might need to be addressed down the line years after that last period, certainly years after perimenopause. And since libido issues are so multifactorial, we have those two sex podcasts that we dedicated towards it. We can always add testosterone if your levels are low later in life. So say you're 58, you're like, you know what? I just don't feel like I'm not so interested in it anymore. I didn't try any other hormones, but my libido is really bad. I would really love to try to get a little bit more sex drive. It can be added back on. And the way that we would do that was with a testosterone gel all by itself compounded just for you. Compound. Compounding. Compounded testosterone. Mm -hmm. Amen, sister. Mm. Well, let's let's just spend another couple of minutes talking about sex because I think one of the things that's really important to point out is that there are certainly women out there who are so happy to be done with periods and the possibility of pregnancy that uh, they're running with that newfound sexual Mm -hmm. freedom. Uh, Guess what? You ain't done with protection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think that, you know, protection is for the young, think again, girl. Good point. <laughs> guess what? HPV, human papillomavirus, is real. And it ain't just for teenagers and 20-somethings. Uh, if you're having sex with multiple partners because you found the pleasure of, uh, of Hinge or <laughs> something, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Then the old standbys of herpes, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and the other STDs, they know no age. Am I right or am I They're absolutely right. And do you know how to protect yourself against STDs? Do you remember what you're supposed to do or what's the best way to protect? The church says abstinence. (laughs) (laughs) It's good old condoms. Going back to using condoms again. I always hate to break it to people who are newly divorced that, well, you know what? Don't forget you're entering this whole new world. So don't forget about buying some condoms and having them on, having them available if you need them. And you will need them with a new partner. You Mm -hmm. will need them. You're right. I mean, again, some... You know, some people around our age, they were married for a long, long time and they're recently divorced or have an opportunity to, for whatever reason, to have new partners. Wrap it up. Right. And Wrap I, it up. and I just want to go, you know, we can treat gonorrhea and chlamydia with antibiotics, but uh, herpes, once you get that, you have it forever. So uh, there's no vaccine against it. Um, and, you you know, people, especially as we get older, there is a chance that maybe your partner had, has, had had herpes at some point, and that can reactivate as you get older. So you, you sure want to try to use that condom whenever you're having sex with somebody new. 
The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it's not unreasonable to ask your partner to get checked STD screened before you start having engaging activity as well. We were talking about some of those things that can happen more as postmenopausal or when we're fully in menopause. Another one is urinary symptoms. Also, that decreased pelvic floor tone, we kind of have gravity working against us our whole lives. And after babies, that's another thing that stretches that out. So there could be any time in your postmenopausal years that you might benefit from doing pelvic floor physical therapy and bladder training, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Remind me, Suzanne, are those, um, do you have to have a, per- a prescription or a referral to a, a- Right. Floor, pelvic floor physical therapy yes. or bladder training, or is that yes. something I'm supposed to look up on the Google and find out? Right. You usually can get a referral. A lot of physical therapy um, offices have one person that specializes more in pelvic floor rehabilitation. So you, and usually if you have insurance, you can get it covered a certain number of visits for that. So it's usually doesn't take a lot, a long, a big time commitment, and you can learn a lot, uh, learn some exercises you can do at home as well that might be helpful. So it's definitely worth it. And if you're another country that actually has uh, public health care, you're fucking lucky. That's right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, pessaries are devices that we actually, that are inserted uh, vaginally to keep that uterus up and sometimes keep your bladder in better place. Those can be an option as we get older or surgery. Sometimes people will elect to have surgery to help keep that everything in place uh, in their pelvic floor, including the vagina and the bladder. There are also some laser and magnet therapies that can be helpful for toning that pelvic floor uh, and helping vaginal mucosa. So those are things you could look into. Sometimes your specialist, your women's healthcare specialist will know somebody in your area. And sometimes by introducing vaginal estrogen will help the bladder symptoms. We've talked about that before. So don't forget that that can be an option even as you get older. Yeah, and and remember, we have an entire episode on I have to pee. So mm-hmm. the and it and it sounds like to me, Suzanne, that the information and recommendations that we were making for perimenopausal women are also applicable for for postmenopausal. Yes, women, yeah? there's a lot of them that are absolutely good. And then keep Excellent. in mind that when you're over the age of fifty, that you have an increased risk for ovarian cancer. And this is not a cancer that there's any screening for. It's also very hard to detect. And the symptoms usually are weight loss, increased abdominal growth, and night sweats. So not really very specific to even the pelvic floor necessarily. Another You're cancer... completely bringing me down now. Yeah, You're I know. bringing me down now. I mean, first we were going to have sex, and then you ruined that. And then now I'm peeing on myself, <laughs> right. and now we're going to cancer. Yeah, okay, we I were know. supposed to tell a happy... Suzanne, we were supposed to tell a happy story about, Right. Well, I promise we'll end on a happy muscle. note. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Keep going then with your cancer. So. Yeah, I know. Another <laughs> cancer that's more prevalent as we get older is vulvar cancer. It can go undetected for a while because many women will have kind of itchiness or soreness uh, in the skin around the vagina. They're just thinking it's vaginal atrophy. And that, uh, that actually could be vulvar cancer. What's unfortunate too is that because a lot of uh, these two types of cancer are usually seen more often in women who are 65 or older, and they're not getting regular pelvic exams at that point. Most of us aren't because we're not doing those pap smears. 
So uh, because the USPTF says to stop getting pap smears at age 65, and that part, part of your body is just not being examined regularly. So if you do notice something unusual, something itchy, some notice a lump or something's bleeding, then you should let your provider know, get it checked out. And especially if you start having vaginal bleeding, uh, if you've gone a whole year with no periods and then you start having some bleeding again, then that also should be checked out because that's the only warning sign for endometrial cancer too. So that's that also deserves an evaluation, usually an ultrasound and maybe an endometrial biopsy. So, so if you start getting periods again, definitely get it checked out. Uh, other things that happen as we get older, we talked about trouble with sleeping uh, before with those hot flashes and in, in perimenopause. And as we get older, there's also more changes in sleep architecture. We have less slow wave restorative sleep and less REM sleep, which is usually helpful for memory uh, and tissue regeneration. So keep protecting your sleep. Keep trying to avoid caffeine, alcohol, try to get some regular exercise because they all help promote a good night's sleep. We've also discussed that progesterone and estrogen can be helpful for sleep. Testosterone might also help by helping our exercise tolerance and lean muscle during the day. So sometimes those balance of hormones can help some of those, that aging process as well. And as we've discussed, good sleep improves your mood and your concentration during the day, which is really important as you get older uh, to have a, a healthy functioning mind and memory. I mean, truly, we could dedicate an, another entire podcast series just to aging and wellness and aging. It's truly more of a beginning, right? Than it's a it's a beginning to a new, fantastic, healthy way of living uh, than our stressful midlife days of our 30s and 40s in so many respects. So your brain and body can function very well as long as you continue to take good care of both your brain and your body. So keep connected with like-minded, active people and learn new things. It's just a start to helping uh, stay healthy and aging. Don't let aging keep you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we talked about, um, <clears throat> that we've talked about consistently throughout this entire series is that perimenopause is a stage. You got to go through it, but it's just a stage. And there is this life after, mm -hmm. which is a completely different, right? You're, you've opened an, another chapter when you're done with this. You know, you're smarter, you feel better, and, and you have the potential to, to make it what you want. You have choices, which I really love, right, as far as what you want to do in response to any lingering symptoms that you might have. Um, you could do nothing, of course. Uh, which is all fantastic. And, and again, you own, you own the choices at this point. Uh, and it did sound like there for a second that you were really, you know, putting the kibosh on my fun. But I, <laughs> you know, as again, somebody who has successfully navigated perimenopause, uh, life is good. The seas are, the seas are fine and the water is good mm -hmm. um, so far for me. Uh, happy to report. So, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no longer have those hormonal fluctuations. Things are more stable. You can have a yeah. clearer head for uh, kind of uh, imparting your wisdom and experience to uh, the other generation. Yes, that's it. Cool. Well, let's wrap this thing up because this is our last episode. So 
When Suzanne and I set out to do this series, we were in the throes of COVID. Suzanne wrote a book about perimenopause, euphemistically titled Breezing Through Menopause. I I know that was just a joke, right? Okay, never mind. Uh, but I became a better cook and gained 35 pounds. Uh, but as the world got back to normal-ish, we shelved the idea and got back to work. But fast forward a couple of years, Suzanne retired from seeing patients and I got laid off. So voila, time on our hands. It was time to do this thing. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I have learned a million things, not only about how to put together a podcast because we do everything ourselves, but, but about the shit show, I mean, journey that perimenopause is. I know a hundred times more about hormones, biology, treatment options than I could ever have imagined. I'm a member of a couple of Facebook perimenopause groups, and I want to answer every post with my newfound mm-hmm. knowledge and a reference to the podcast, which, oddly enough, the moderators refuse to allow. Go figure. <laughs> but our only goal for the podcast was to make sure that any woman who is going through this would have a consistent, simple, and understandable reference so she could start a conversation with her healthcare providers and her sisters. And to know she was not alone and that suffering is not a requirement, mm-hmm. regardless of what the healthcare establishment seems to <laughs> seems to be thrusting upon us. So it has been my absolute pleasure to be your voice in this series, to ask the silly questions, to make Suzanne explain things to me like I'm five, so mm-hmm. that you can, uh, to help you understand it all. Right. And I am so thankful as well. I'm so happy to do this with my very good friend of uh, 40 plus years. Uh, you can I was say it. Glad. I'm your best friend. <laughs> yeah. so, my, best my friend. best friend. Of 40. Absolutely. My best friend of 40 something years. Uh, and I, I trusted you to ask the right questions, which you sure did. It helped me to dig a little deeper into some of the explanations. And I was, I'm really glad to have it in this format where it's easy for people to listen to and you don't have time. You can just pop it, pop it on in your car and listen during your commute and get that information that you really need. Um, and like you said, it's uh, information I've been gathering over the 30 years of being a physician, working with women, I, working with women, worked with women in pregnancy and do, after deliveries. And then again, um, as I've gotten older, uh, worked with women through perimenopause, helped them with IUDs and birth control, and then also with uh, full-blown menopause as well. During COVID, when it came about, I thought, you know, I've really been meaning to write that brochure that I can hand to patients because there's so much information that people just don't know out there about perimenopause. Uh, and that is when my book was born, as you mentioned, and it's still available. In fact, it's available on Amazon. So if you want, you can just Google, put in your Amazon uh, account if you have one, uh, Breezing Through Menopause, or my name, Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. Well, C-I-O-T-T-I. Also, correct. Uh, and it'll it'll reference a lot of the things that we've already talked about in the podcast, uh, going through perimenopause, inflammation, weight gain, vaginal care, bones, thyroid issues, sex, hormonal treatments, uh, and non-hormonal treatments, and your brain. So we talk about all of those issues in the book as well if you'd like a written format. Remember, you can also get a link to it through our website. So I'd like to thank everybody for letting me do this. And I, and I can't believe it's our last one. It's pretty sad. 
<laughs> uh, something tells me that we're we may down the road do maybe a listener Q and A or something like that. I feel like even though this is the the finish of our our uh, scheduled ones, that mm-hmm. maybe we're not done here. We'll see. Right. And maybe if you, our listener, have some recommendations, feel free to email us. If there's somebody you wish you would have gotten more information from, like we could bring in other other physicians or nurse practitioners or compounding pharmacists, if you'd like. If you wanted to hear more from those sorts of people, just let us know and maybe we can do another, another episode or two for you. If you have questions, comments, thoughts for another episode, please feel free to send us an email at the Perry Menno podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to visit our website where reference materials and links to other podcasts are held, please visit us at www.theperimenopodcast.com. Find more episodes wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please do us a favor. If this information has been helpful for you, please like us, write a review if you're so inclined, and most importantly, share this podcast with another sister so she can be informed too.